All right, so uh, lesson 77, and I uh, titled this Written in Heaven or Not. And uh, thank God all of us in this room are the written in heaven side. Uh, because by the time you get to this great white throne judgment, it's judgment, it's too late to get your name added. You know, this is a uh, RSVP <laughs> supreme. Uh, you better get, uh, get your name in the book because um, there won't be a chance after this. So last week we started with uh, the section... In Revelation 20, um, I'm going to go back to that section and then we'll build on this tonight. Revelation 20, uh, on your page there, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So we have this, uh, as I said last week, awesome passage, because it certainly does uh, bring... Um, absolute awe to this situation. Um, the scene that is set here, as we talked last week, uh, basically it's a vast expanse of nothing. There is nothing but... Uh, there's a roll of paper towels way over on that counter. Um, there is no earth, there is no heaven, um, because without the heavens there will be no sun, there will be no stars, there will be nothing to grant any kind of light. The only light will be what is coming from, reading out from the glory of the throne as it sits there, the glory of God upon the throne. The earth and sky have passed away, dissolved. Several times it says dissolved. Uh, they've been undone, destroyed, burned with fire, fervent heat. The heavens have been ripped away. It's an incredible, incredible thing that will be there before our eyes. Now, when does all this happen? Of course, after the millennium, after the rebellion of, of uh, Satan, uh, 
and he now had been cast into the lake of fire, and so now comes this judgment of the dead, and that is what God is bringing forth, uh, this what we call the great white throne judgment. Upon that throne is the Godhead, the one who sits in judgment, the Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted Lamb of God. And so all of this incredible scene with the dead from the fall of Adam all the way to the end of the millennium. So all of the dead who were not believers, Old Testament, believing in the hope, believing in the Redeemer. How did, how did Job say it? The oldest book in the Bible. And Job said what? I know, I know my, my what? Redeemer lives. This is before the law. Job lived before Abraham. So Job had a knowledge of a redeemer. And he not only knew that there was a redeemer, he knew that there was a day that this redeemer was going to stand upon the earth. And he also knew that in his flesh he would be changed. In my flesh I will know him. So Job is an incredible witness to the eternality of God's revelation. The angels knew it before man was ever created, that God was the Redeemer God. They didn't know how he was going to do it. Book of Ephesians, chapter 3, Paul says that the, the revelation through the church of salvation by grace is even teaching the angels. So, but they knew that there was a redemption. They knew there was a Redeemer. The Lamb was slain before the foundation of time. So that was all in existence. So no matter who, from Adam all the way to the end of the millennium, there was an option. Old Testament, believe in the Redeemer. Then came Abraham with the promise. Then came Moses with the law. Yeah, the law was there, but you weren't saved by keeping the law. You're saved by faith. Without faith, no one is justified. And by the law is no one justified. So it was by faith even in the time of the law. They had to believe that this sacrifice represented a redeemer that was going to save mankind. And if they had that hope, they were saved in a future way. Their salvation was ahead of them. They didn't know how many thousand years or when it was going to be, but their salvation was out there. And then came the revelation. Jesus appearing on the earth. The promise of God being fulfilled. He walked the earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, poured out his spirit, and started another hole advance called the church and since the day of Pentecost salvation has been through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone 
now just a general faith in a redeemer, faith in some Messiah that's going to come is not enough. It is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead. That is the way of salvation. It's not politically correct. Um, We may find ourselves canceled by people who uh, think that we need to soften it, change it, adapt it to our culture, to our time. Not going to happen because I didn't write the book. (laughs) I can't go back and rewrite the book. God wrote it already. It's done. Jesus made the statements. I'm going to go to a back and put words in. I, I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth. You want to put words in Jesus' no. mouth? I don't, I don't want to be on that place. So all of the dead who were not believers from Adam to the end of the millennium, all of the dead stand there. We'll talk more about them next week. And all of the dead called before the throne. Where are we? I, I don't know if there's enough bleachers for all of us to sit in. You know, whether we'll be watching with some divine, you know, big screen TV. You know, how we'll be observed. We're all going to be observing. We will have resurrection bodies. So we're not limited by physical issues. Say, but we're just going to be hanging in the air. There is no hanging in the air. We have resurrection bodies not subject to the physical limitations of this world. Besides, all the physical limitations of this world are gone. So, so much for that. So, here they all stand, and I had to put in there, hopeless. Hopeless. Before this throne. Now, we can look at this with rejoicing in our hearts because we're going to be there. But we also look at it with broken hearts because there are so many people who are not. People that have already died, they, they don't have an opportunity. But there's a lot of people who have not died yet who need to hear so they can believe. There are people not yet born who need to hear so they can believe. Should the Lord tarry? And it is up to us in this generation to make sure that that message stays alive and is passed on to those who follow us. That the one way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. So as he's observing, John, I guess it's just in the crowd with all the rest of us. So John is observing all of this. And he says in verse 12, last week we talked about the throne, the one who sat there. This week let's look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. We'll talk about those books next week. Books were opened. Then another book, another book was opened which is the book of life. What are those other books? Well, it tells us right down below. The dead were judged by what was written in the, what's it say? Books. Now, I put them in blue and purple so you can see a difference, but in the Bible, they're not there. 
I emphasize the S on the word, end of the word, books. Because the dead are going to be judged. What's it say at the end of that phrase? According to what they have done. So this is the book, books, sorry, books of works. The books of works. How many volumes? Because there's books. What they had done, and the word according to is the Greek preposition kata, which means to be under the influence of, under the, the power of, under the pressure of, according to what they had done. So everything in their eternity is depending on what they had done. Our salvation is depending upon what? What he has done. My salvation is in what he has done. According to God's own mercy and grace, according to his own purpose and grace, according to the love and the mercy of God is my salvation. It certainly isn't in my works. But that's what they will be judged by. And we'll talk, as I said, about them next week. But then it says that there was another book called the Book of Life. So there's the books of works, and there's the book of life. Now, again, this is huge. All right. Now, they didn't have binding like we have you know, in our, in our time, basically their books were scrolls. And there were some ways that they could bind certain things together, but it was just pages and then some piece attached at the end that would kind of keep the pieces from falling apart. Um, but the most, most of the things that people referred to and read from were scrolls. How long is this scroll? Now I find it interesting, and I, I've got no, I've got no wisdom or insight in this. Is that they had to have a whole lot of books for the works, and one book, one scroll, for the life. I guess some people's lives might fill up a book. But there's a whole lot. And they're books of works. Maybe they're categories. One person felt that they were categorized. The books were different things. I don't know. But there's books and a book. And what's important is that your name is in the book. Now, book of works I had some works and I'm not sure about this again this is a Jeff thing I'll put that in there that when I believe and my name was written in the book of life the book of works was emptied my name was taken out now I will be judged according to uh, the things I have done with what God has given me and there will be 
a judgment of rewards, but that does not come out of these books. Our judgment for rewards does not come from these books. So, again, things that we may look, if I can get any further enlightenment on that. But down toward the bottom of the page, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And you skip on down to verse 15, and it says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. So, the simple thing is your name being written in the book of life. That's the important issue here. Because if your name is not there, you're judged according to the works. And if your name is not there, you're in all of that dead crowd. The dead were raised, and they're going to go back to death. Except, I can't help myself getting a little bit ahead of things here, but they're going to have, you know how we have resurrection bodies that are, are classified, they're, they're adapted for eternal life? The dead are going to have a resurrection body that is adapted for eternal death. You say, well, they'll burn up after a while. No, because their body is adapted to not be consumed, but to be tortured. That's just the way it is. So, not found written. So let's talk about this names written in the book. Last week I, I, I went through this, and I'm not going to go through all of this again, down to the bottom of your page one and on into the top of page two, about the names being written. Like, as I said, in the Old Testament, the, the pattern and, and the book of Revelation depends greatly upon Old Testament uh, teachings, Old Testament truth. And um, in the Old Testament, you were born, your name was written. Your parents' name, your grandparents' name, the tribe, and how you then, through that name, trace your lineage back to Abraham. And so all of this was the books that they had. And so your name was enrolled. And no matter what, sin you committed your name was not removed there is there's no place in the law it's 613 commandments not one commandment says and your name will be erased out of the book because it can't change the fact that you were born you were and so your name's not erased because you were born and so your name was written in there when you were born not when you did good things not when you accomplished everything not when you fulfilled your life Oh, there may have been some stars after your name. Remember you were in school, you finished your work, and you got stars after your, you know. So there might be some gold stars, red stars, blue stars, whatever, you know, after your name. But um, there would be those. Even Israel, when they were under God's severe discipline and thrown into Babylon... They're still God's people. And he was going to get them. You are mine. I will redeem you. I will bring you back. And God still considered them his wife. And he would take her back. And so God was going to redeem these ones. And so 
there was no removing from the role. But in the Roman culture, there was. And if you did not attain to certain things, you could be blotted from the family roles. You could be blotted from the city roles. You could be blotted from the empire roles. Nero had Paul taken out of the roles of citizenship and labeled as an evildoer, which means the vilest of criminals. He lost his rights as a citizen. His name was, in a sense, removed or marked through, however they did it, so that he could be tortured and subjected to things that a Roman citizen could not be. Domitian, who was the emperor while John is writing this book, uh, he was notorious for removing people, entire cities. Somebody in the city, few people in the city, didn't do what he wanted. He just didn't like them. He'd write them off. Just, they're gone. But as I said, at the end of Domitian's life, what did they do with him? They erased him. They erased him. His name was removed from monuments, from stones, from street names, from city names, scratched through, effaced, somehow chiseled off. <laughs> he, was, he was blotted out. Yeah. So, when the Lord brings this up, in Luke chapter 10, the first place we see anything about names written in heaven is Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Nevertheless, Jesus told his disciples, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, my, my subject I'm teaching on my Sunday morning group is on authority of the believer, and our authority comes as a gift. I give you authority. It's not you earned it, not you attained to it, not you did enough to be there. No, I give you authority. And the authority is based on the fact that your names are written in heaven. So our identity in Christ is our authority. Don't get that turned around. It's not that our authority is our identity. Because you can be in Christ, have your name written, and not know your authority. The vast majority, probably, of the, of the Christians down through the ages did not know their authority. But we have it. But we have it because our names are written. Because of our relationship. Because we are in Christ and in the book. Your names are written. Who wrote them? Well, it has to be God because the book's in heaven. Now, I suppose, yeah, he could have an angel, the angel of the scroll. I don't know. That's not in the Bible anywhere. But he could have somebody up there, you know, whose job is to write. It, it wouldn't be my job because if I wrote your name, no one would read it. They couldn't understand. It's just scribbling. But um, So it's got to be somebody that can write, and your name is written because what? Because you were born? No, because you were born again. Because you were born into the family of God. Because you believed and you 
became a new creation in Christ. New creation. Old things passed away. Which, that's why I believe the book of works of Jeff Jackson disappeared. Now, there is a record of what I've done with what God has given me to do, and I will be rewarded one way or another. We'll talk about that. But old things passed away. I'm a, I'm a new creation, a new species of being. The word comes from the word Genesis, Genesis, and it means an original thing. So we are original, and our names are written. And I like the fact as I was concentrating on this, I was realizing that no one here on this earth can remove my name from the book because, number one, it's in heaven, and number two, they didn't write it. They don't have the authority to take my name. They might not like me. They might cancel me, right? They may uh, ridicule me. They can condemn me. They can make life difficult. They could cast us out. They could exile us. They could, in their authority, excommunicate me. Doesn't change the fact my name is written in heaven. So, this is the promise that Jesus made to his disciples. This is, this is he said, this is where your authority comes from. That your names are written there. And that's, that's your real rejoicing. Thank God I have authority over demons and powers and principalities. And I've seen some incredible miracles. And I've seen demons cast out. And I have dealt with those things. Uh, as I was telling my class also, I don't, I don't get into the wrestling, rolling around on the floor, fighting with demons and all that kind of stuff. You take authority with words. Jesus did. I do. Um, that's, that's the way it is. The demon may do some crazy things, but then I believe in taking authority and telling him to quit. So, But this is, this is a different group of people that we belong to now. Our names are written. I put the reference down here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race. We're a chosen race. I'm not the same as everyone else on this earth. I'm a chosen race. I'm part of. You are. It doesn't matter what my racial background was. It doesn't matter what my ethnic background was. It doesn't matter what my societal background was, what cultural level I came from, what caste I belong to. I'm a different race. Amen. I'm a chosen race. What God wanted me to be. I love to read, a lot of people skip it, uh, Romans chapter 16 and the list of all those names. I went down through there and I analyzed those names. I looked in dictionaries and concordances and encyclopedias and Roman um, antiquities books and you can tell the class a person by their name and there were royalty in there there are people of the highest classes of society there are people who are slaves there are people who are soldiers there are people who are 
just no ones. There are people from Africa. There are people from the Middle East. There are people from the northern parts of Europe. All these names. And they're all part of the church. This is the Church of Rome. Filled with all of this. That was one of the things that made the early church so different. That all of these classes of people came together as one. And what you came in as had nothing to do with your function and your position within the church. We were all part of one race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're not just a chosen race, we're also a, a separate nation. That's what holy means, separated out, exclusive. We are whose nation? God's nation. We're a separate nation. Thank God I, I live in the United States. I've been to, I don't know how many, 15 or so different countries around the world. And I, every time, I'm so glad when I come back here. Amen. But I also belong to a holy nation. Separate, distinct, exclusive. And the only way to be a part of this nation is to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, I'm a people for his own possession. The Greek phrase basically, there it means we are God's special purchase. I know, King James, peculiar people, right? But we're, the Greek word means a special purchase. Something that God bought just because he wanted it. I've seen people buy paintings, cars, jewelry. You can see it sometimes people buy stuff that's worth millions of dollars and you look at it and you say, I wouldn't pay that for that. I don't want to get too off here. I, I have no idea who owns that house at the corner of Sheridan and 111th. Well, house. It's not a house. It's a resort. I don't know what it is. It's a private dwelling. Like a I, I don't want it. And if I was one of their kids, I'd say, you sell it and give me the money because I don't want it. Because if you give it to me, no one's going to buy it from me. All right? So anyway, you, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to go by and look at it. But, but there's a reason whoever bought that bought it. They wanted it. You say, well, that's wasteful. That's extravagant. Well, you know what? You're God's extravagant purchase. Other people might look at you and say... I wouldn't pay the blood of my son for you. I mean, you're a nice person and everything. I like you. you know, it's glad to have you here, but, you know, I would, no thanks. But God did. So we're a special purchase of God. We are his own. And um, 
John chapter 17, I love this, uh, verse 2, two times in verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 12, and verse 24, Jesus says, these are the ones you have given me. These are the ones you have given me. You've been given by God the Father to Jesus the Son. A gift from the Father to the Son. That's just absolutely beautiful. So that he could do what? Die for you. And so because of all of this, this is, this is God's work. Because of all of this, no earthly power can remove us because no earthly power put us in there. This is all God. I love Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. I don't even belong here anymore. And man, as every day goes by, I feel that more and more. I'm an alien. I really am. And, you know, I just, I don't belong. I don't feel like I fit. I may live among these people, but I don't belong. Other words that are used in reference to this, the word citizenship, politumen, means to live with the rights of a free person in relationship to some country, state, or city. You have, you have the rights of a free person. You've been granted something that other people don't have. You're a citizen that other people don't have, and it's yours. You didn't do anything to get it. It was given to you. And so we are citizens, but not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Look at these other words. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're exiles. We're pilgrims. I know. We think, oh, it's a poor little pilgrim. <laughs> That's not what the word pilgrim means. And it doesn't mean people with funny black hats with white ribbons around them, whatever, <laughs> came off the Mayflower. The idea of pilgrims is somebody who's traveling that doesn't belong in the land where they are. And they may be there for a long period of time, but this is not their land. I'm just passing through. Right? So all of these ideas belong to us. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Amongst the list of, I think there's 17 different things in Hebrews chapter 12. Don't get me quote me on that but i think it's around 17 different things that he lists we have not come to mount sinai but we have come to mount zion and then he gets this incredible list and paul just starts through with one type after another that's used to describe the people of god and where we have come to and one of the statements he makes we have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven we belong to the assembly of the firstborn. You think, well, that'd make a good name for a church. Well, it would. The assembly, the assembly of the firstborn. In other words, this is his assembly. This is the assembly that belongs to the firstborn, and the firstborn is Jesus Christ. And so we belong to this assembly. The word used for assembly there is our, our word ecclesia or church. 
to be translated church. But in Hebrews chapter 10, they're also called a synagogue. They are the synagogue of God. And for your sake, the assembling of yourselves in the synagogue. And we think synagogue, well, that's a Jewish thing. No, the Jews called it a synagogue because it means people who are alike. People who are alike. And so what makes us alike? What makes us alike? Our faith in Jesus Christ. What makes us alike? It doesn't matter that I came from Ohio and that I root for Alabama. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Whether you have hair or don't have hair, it doesn't matter. Whether you're tall or not, it doesn't matter what your age is, what your race, racial descent, ethnic origins are. The thing that makes us alike is our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. We can honor all those other things. We can have value in those. I thank you that you all like the fact that I'm an Alabama fan. But because most people don't. Anyway. But notice the phrase again, enrolled. And the Greek word means something that's been written in. We have been written in. Our name has been entered into a public record. That's the way the word is used in common way. But it's not this world's public record. It's the public record of heaven. Because that's where my citizenship is. Top of the next page. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he said, yes, I ask also my true companion, or its true companion is a translation. Sisychus is the name, and most people believe he's referring to the name. So if you're looking for names for pass on for your grandchildren or a cat or whatever, uh, Sisychus is a great name. You get to use a Y and a Z. You know, and G all in one. It's, it's a great word. Nobody could spell it. Don't use that when you go to the restaurant and they say, can I have your name, please? Sisychus. <laughs> they have no idea what to write down. Anyway, so it's possible he's the pastor of the church here, as Paul is writing. He's the one who's pastoring, my true companion, um, which is what Sisychus means. Help those women, those women, and the women are Yodia and Syntyche. Again, two more names that you need to keep in line. They just don't get used enough. Yodia and Syntyche, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So here's, here's two ladies, and as you read in verse 1, um, they've got a disagreement. Now, it's not an argument-type disagreement. It's more of the line that they both have a great idea but they can't decide whose idea is better. Well, they can. My idea is better. <laughs> well, no. The other one says, no, my idea is better. And I think this is, and they're both, they're both right. How many know that there's sometimes there's many ways to do the right thing, and there's many right things that we could do, and yet what it's brought is it's brought strife. And so Paul says, I want them to, to come together. And 
Sisychus, I need your help in bringing them together. And what does he say about them? Whose names are where? In the book of life. So, they're still alive on the earth, but their names are in the book of life. We have enrolled, been enrolled in heaven. Jesus said, your names are written in heaven. We are of the assembly. We belong to a different citizenship. We have a different background. So, in all these things, we see this use of the phrase book of life. Now, the word book of life, I put some other references there. Uh, it occurs in all of those verses. In Roman, or Revelation 3, 5, Revelation 17, 8, Revelation 20 and verse 15, uh, it's called the book of life. In Revelation 13, 8, it's called the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Right, the book of life of the Lamb. And in Revelation 21 and verse 27, it's called the Lamb's book of life. It's all the same book. It's a book of life. Zoe life. The God life. Our name is there because we have the God life, and that God life has been given to us. And so this promise of the book of life, let's look at one of these references because this is the one that catches a lot of people and and. Uh, causes confusion the one who conquers with me will be clothed in white garments and i will never blot his name out of the book of life i will confess his name before my father and before his angels here's what's unfortunate most people read that verse and say well he could he could blot my name out but he's saying he won't blot my name out first of all look at the word conquer the one who conquers in john's writing consistently when he talks about being an overcomer he's talking about those who have faith in jesus christ this is the victory that overcomes the world or conquers the world same greek word overcome conquer is victorious over this is the victory that overcomes the world even our what faith, faith. and so to john being a conqueror had to do with having faith in jesus christ we are conquerors because we're in Christ. First John chapter 5, there's several verses in there that, that uh, support this principle that we are conquerors because we're in Christ. We're conquerors whether we know it or not. Whether we're living it or not. Just like the authority that's been given to us, we have authority. Whether you're using it is another question. Whether you're enjoying your victorious status is another question. Whether you're living it out is another question. But listen to what this is. It is not a threat. It's an assurance. I will never blot your name from the book of life. That's not, well, I'm afraid I might get blotted. I will never the one who wrote it is saying what? I will what? Never. And in the Greek language, it's an absolute. It means it cannot happen. I will not allow this to come to this position. This is our assurance. This is our security. It's a forbiddance that something could ever happen. Who would blot your name out? Domitian, 
Maybe sometimes parents, friends, governments, other people might try to blot your name out. But they can't blot that out of the book of life because they didn't write it. And the book is in heaven and they don't have access to it. So this is a promise from God that it will never happen. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, middle of the page. This is the amplified translation. All right, so amplified version. So what I've got there, the words in blue are added by the writers of the Amplified to enlarge upon the meaning of the Greek word, meaning that sometimes gets hidden. I like reading from the Amplified, but don't read long passages from the Amplified because you'll be till tomorrow just reading the passage. All right, but listen to what it says. Let your character, this is Hebrews 13, 5, let your character and moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances, that's by what he means, with your present and what you have. Here's the part I want. For he, God himself, who is the he, God, he, God himself, has said. Now, this is a statement from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 5. So this statement came from Joshua. When God told Joshua, I will not forsake you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go, right? Well, Paul takes that, but Paul enlarges upon it by adding assurance. And here's how he does it, by the use of Greek language. You say, I don't read Greek. But the people that Paul is speaking to did. And so here's how Paul writes it. I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. That's what the, mean, the word forsake means. I will not fail or forsake you. I won't give you up, leave you without support. Then notice what comes next. I will not, I will not, I will not. In the Greek language, there's three negatives in this statement. Why three negatives? Well, to us, a double negative means it becomes a positive, but that's not Greek. Greek intensifies it. And when it's a triple negative, it means it can never even possibly happen. It will never be able to reach this whatever the subject is. I will not, I will not, I will not. I was reading it one day and it came to me, it's like me arguing with God. God says, I will not forsake you. Yeah, but I, you know, sometimes I feel like, I will not. Yeah, but I, you know, there's times, you know, what about, I will not. Yeah, I know, but but I, I will not. God's tired of this, right? Don't make me say it again. I will not. In any degree, leave you helpless nor forsake you, let you down. Relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Now, all of that is right from the Amplified Bible. Because that's the hidden meaning that is reflected in the words and the Greek language that is used there. This triple negative. A situation that 
absolutely cannot ever happen. So it is not even possible that your name could be blotted from the book of life. Same principle. Just like God says, I won't forsake you, he says, I will not blot your name from the book of life. Look at John chapter 10. Another one of these negative statements that is is giving us an assurance that is positive. John chapter 10. Jesus said, and I give them eternal life. Who gives? Jesus gives, right? What does he give? Eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal life. Eternal means it's not subject to time. It's not temporal life. That's what they had in the Old Testament. Living under the law. You have what? Eternal. I give you. Not I will give when you get to heaven. I will give you eternal life. No. You believe in me and I give you eternal life. That's God's promise. And they shall never lose it. Or cause themselves, as again is the Amplified. They shall never lose it. They shall never what? Man, I lost my salvation. I hate it when I lose my car keys. You know, I lost the TV. How many, how many have lost the TV remote? You know, at least for you know, 10, 20 minutes, right? I hate it when I lose that. And I really hate it when I lose my salvation. You know, because I misplaced it. I set it off somewhere. And I, I don't know what I did with it. God should have never given it to me, you know. No, they shall never lose it or cause themselves to perish throughout the age. Let me tell you why it says cause themselves just a second. In other words, to all eternity, this is amplified, to all eternity they shall never by any means be destroyed. Perish, be destroyed. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. So they can't lose it. They can't perish or cause themselves to perish. The reason it says that is because this is a middle voice verb. And a middle voice verb means something that you do, the subject does to themselves or for their own benefit. Or here, <laughs> unbenefit. All right? They can't even cause themselves to perish. You hear people say, well, I know, you can't lose your salvation and... And, you know, the devil can't take you out, but you can, you can cause yourself to perish. No, Jesus just said here, and this is a double negative, which means it absolutely cannot happen. They absolutely cannot cause themselves to perish. You can argue with me all you want. I suggest you argue with Jesus. He's the one who made the statement. And so... This double negative there with a negative word makes this, again, another triple negative. It cannot happen. What's, why am I saying all of this? Because God uses negative phrasing sometimes to establish something that's positive. God will never forsake us. You can never perish. And you will not be blotted from the book of life. That is God's promise. And here's one more reason. We've been sealed. Sealed. We just had a new fence put in. 
tomorrow they're coming to state it and seal it because it rained for the last few weeks. They're going to seal it so that it is preserved. But the idea of in the in the Greek language of seal was even stronger than that. A seal was something that impressed the name of the owner onto the object. It's been sealed. Now, Ephesus at one time, it's hard to imagine, if you see it today, anybody that's been to the city of Ephesus uh, will witness to the fact that it's barren. And a lot of the, a lot of the trees, it's scrub, it's arid land all around there. It used to be a major seaport, huge harbor that came right up to where the, the thing is. Now it's 11 miles from the city to the closest part of the river because all the silt, where did the silt come from? The goats that ate all the vegetation and the removal of lumber. It was during the Roman era, it was a major lumbering area and they would cut down the trees and they would put them in the river. But before they put them in the river, they would seal it. I mean, the owner would put his stamp on that piece of lumber. This is my tree. And when it got down to the next support area, he would be paid for all of the trees that were his. It's just like branding cattle, same principle. Please don't leave here saying, Jeff said we've been branded. <laughs> I didn't say you've been branded, but in a sense, you have. All right, so look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him. Not on your own, in him. We have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the promise of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also... Listen to this. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, you heard the word of truth and believed in him, were sealed. You heard, you believed, you were sealed. Is that beautiful? That means the stamp, the seal of God has been placed upon me. What did I do? I heard and I believed and I was sealed somebody else did that to me I heard I believed someone else sealed me that's the same as not just having my name written in the book of life it's not just written there it's what else it's sealed no one can take it out they didn't write it they don't have the authority to take it out so this is the promise that comes from God. And what is that seal? Read it. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's all him. And it is the guarantee that it's, it's, not, it's more than what we consider a down payment. It's, it, it, it's a whole separate concept it is the money that's given in advance that says the rest will be paid when you get here so God has given us a guarantee the 
when do we get the rest of it? When we get to heaven. <laughs> Our bodies get changed. We get a resurrection body. And then we get this eternal, glorious life that goes on and on, not subject to any of the elements of this world that we are so familiar with in the very presence of God. That's the full possession. Now, this is not the only verse. I'm going to have to quit here, but I want you to look at some of these other verses that go along with this. Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. So we were sealed, but we can still grieve the Holy Spirit. We can do things that are to his displeasure. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us, given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've got the beginning parts of it. So, this is the promise that God has made. Your names are written in the book of life. Your name has been sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not only upon the book, but he's the guarantee. He's in you. And the Spirit of God is in us as our guarantee. He's our down payment of what is going to be fully paid. And God has promised no one can take us out. The devil can't take us out. And he will never blot us out. That's our security. So, thank God, the security that we have. Now, next week, we'll talk about the judgments. We're going to talk about the rewards for believers and the judgment seat of Christ, um, great white throne for the dead. All right? Let's pray.